Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network, being brought to you today by DraftKings Sportsbook. NCAA tournament is in full swing, all kinds of upsets. Pac-12 has been fantastic. Big Ten has been less than fantastic. The action has not disappointed at all. And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's just that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. No better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, don't worry if college basketball isn't for you because DraftKings Sportsbook has 100 to 1 odds on select fighters for this weekend's UFC 260. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code TBPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And our thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook for their sponsorship of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Really excited about our friend of the program today. I've known him for a number of years. Used to write for, uh, used to cover the Denver Nuggets, and now writing out of the Bay Area for the Undefeated. Mark Spears of ESPN and the Undefeated joins us. Uh, Part one of our conversation will be part of this, which is episode 23 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. We're going to talk about the trade deadline that is coming up, also the passing of Elgin Baylor. And uh, since he knows Draymond Green really well, and Draymond Green has been in the news Talking about uh, him being the best defensive player there ever was, we'll uh, we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. There's a second part to this conversation, which will air in episode 24, when we focus more on the Memphis Grizzlies and what Mark Spears sees with the Grizzlies and his experiences being involved with the Martin Luther King celebration game in Memphis. And uh, we'll talk about race and sports and the NBA's role in social justice. All that coming up over the next two programs. Uh, Today we'll start with our friend of the program, Mark Spears, and talk about the NBA trade trade deadline, which is Thursday afternoon. Uh, So we've got that on tap, of course, as per usual. We've got uh, Petey's points, and that was the week that was. And in addition of NBA story time, where I'm going to repeat a story, and I'm going to repeat a story because the question that is asked of me gets repeated all the time. So I'm going to answer it yet again. And that's coming up in NBA story time. But first, let's start as we always do with That Was the Week That Was. Just one game to recap for you and what a game it was. Grizzlies taking on the Boston Celtics on Monday. Grizzlies had an eight-point lead heading into the fourth quarter, but uh, wouldn't you know the Celtics were able to rally back. They um, did not have Jason Tatum for this game. He was a late scratch, came out warmed up, felt ill, put on... uh, civilian clothes and uh, did not play in the game. Boston was coming off a blowout win over Orlando on Sunday afternoon in which they made 23 threes, one off their franchise record, and Jalen Brown made 10 himself. Little different story for Jalen Brown. Did come up with 27 points in the ballgame, but needed 24 shots, only 3 of 11 from downtown. 
Grizzlies were outshot, actually, 52% to 50%. But the key to this game, Grizzlies were dominant on the glass. Grizzlies come up with 17 offensive rebounds, and they only turned the ball over 10 times. Only lost three points off their turnovers for the entire game. And the Grizzlies go on to win it in overtime, 132 to 126. Grizzlies had 20 more shots on goal, 110 shots they got in the air because of uh, just 10 turnovers and the aforementioned 17 offensive rebounds. Big game for Dylan Brooks, 24 points for him, also had seven assists and seven rebounds and two steals, probably his most complete game of the season, and uh, trying to do it while guarding Jalen Brown, which was not easy. Uh, Jalen Brown finished with, as I said, 27. Jeff Teague got the start and finished with a season-high 26 points for him. But John Morant countered that with perhaps the dunk of the year off a lob from Dylan Brooks. Morant finished with 29 points, 9 assists, and just 2 turnovers for him. And uh, shot a very healthy 48% from the floor, 4 of 7 from the free throw line as well. Grizzlies made 12 threes in this basketball game, but again, they win despite being outshot and lose and win uh, despite having the other team shoot 50% plus. And uh, some other notable things about this game and really about this homestand is the Grizzlies went three and one on the homestand that we will touch on in Petey's points. Well, this was a situation where the Grizzlies for the fourth time on the four game homestand, they trailed at halftime. Three of those games, including the Boston game, they rallied and they ended up winning the game. Why is that significant? Well, number one, the Grizzlies all season last year only won four games when they trailed at halftime. They are already up to five. It's not a great record, but still, there's progress being made by the Grizzlies. They're down at half. They have five victories and three of them coming on this homestand against Boston, Golden State, and Miami pretty decent basketball teams, uh, coming back to win. So five total rallies from halftime deficits for the Grizzlies to win. So that's Petey's point number one. Number two, the Grizzlies also won their third consecutive clutch game, all of them on the homestand. Grizzlies started 0-3 in the clutch and really struggled, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. Clutch games being defined by the NBA as the final five minutes of a basketball game when the margin is within five points. And the Grizzlies, like I said, they had struggled. Grizzly struggles in the bubble in clutch situations were were really, really marked. And part of the reason why the Grizzlies ended up not making the playoffs and having to get into the play-in round and, and have to beat Portland twice, which obviously they did not do. Much better execution from the Grizzlies in the clutch, better clutch shot making, better clutch defense. And so that, to me, is a sign of growth for this basketball team, that when the game gets late and the clock gets short and the margin is tight, this team can respond. And they certainly did so uh, in the Monday game against the Boston Celtics. So that is a good sign for the Grizzlies. So the clutch execution of the Grizzlies is much better. That's fine. But one of the issues that does concern me is the fact that they are allowing 50% shooting far too often. I mean, Boston shot 52% in this basketball game and the Grizzlies end up winning because they're ball secure and because they come up with 17 offensive rebounds and 20 more field goal attempts. So that works for them. But to allow teams to shoot 50% on a regular basis, uh, that's an awfully tough way to fly. And hopefully the Grizzlies will get their defensive uh, ship in order as they go on the road for four games, starting with a Wednesday night game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
And then the Grizzlies go on. They play two against Utah in Salt Lake City over the weekend. Then they go to Houston to finish up the road trip against the Houston Rockets. So defensively, Grizzlies going to have to use their defense to protect their offense a little bit, or otherwise this winning streak is is not going to last. But the Grizzlies currently on a two-game winning streak as they go to Oklahoma City on Wednesday night. Final PD's point, Jonas Valanciunas. There are some people on, on social media who want to tra- trade the guy. Um, he is averaging 12.3 rebounds a game. That's third best in the NBA. If the season ended today, it would be the best rebounding average in franchise history, better than Zach Randolph's 12.2. Uh, he is a great inside threat. He is among the league leaders in offensive rebounds, in putbacks, uh, one of the best hook shot artists we have in the NBA right now. And, I mean, if you trade Jonas Valanciunas, you're going to have to get something back that is going to somewhat replicate his production. And I don't know of anybody out there that would. Um, if you were to not have Jonas Valanciunas and if you do not replace him with a capable rebounder and Jaron Jackson comes back, Jaron Jackson Jr. does not rebound all that well statistically for his position. So if, you know, this, and this is how the Grizzlies are making their way right now. They are making it with offensive rebounds and a lot of the offensive rebounds are Jonas Valanciunas. So I don't know what's going to happen at the trade deadline. My gut tells me the Grizzlies might make a few moves around the edges. I don't see a blockbuster trade coming up for the Grizzlies. But um, I just think that Jonas Valanciunas has has had a remarkable season, best season of his career. Um, and unless there's really some fantastic deal out there, I would love for Jonas Valanciunas to continue to be in a Grizzlies uniform. And that is Petey's points for episode 23 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Now, an edition of NBA Storytime. Well, so many times I get asked the question because at the start of the game, the traditional announcement is, Brevin, as you well know, we have three officials. And Brevin chimes in, and they showed up on time. And then I name the officials, give some biographical information, and away we go. I get this question all the time. Why does Brevin say, and they showed up on time? Has there ever been a time when a referee did not show up on time? We did have a case in um, Brooklyn where a referee, I don't know if it was a COVID-related issue, travel-related issue, uh, didn't make it to the game, and so that the, the game was officiated with a two-man crew. The reason that Brevin says that very simply is Brevin likes to be involved, and Brevin has a wicked sense of humor. This goes back to my days when I was with the Portland Trailblazers and Mark Mason, the longtime PA voice there who is still there, would always say the three officials as assigned by the NBA are, and then he would he would read the three names. I thought this was something official. I thought maybe this is the preferred verbiage of the NBA when we introduce the referees. So I I just picked that up. And so one one night uh, I just started saying the three officials as assigned by the NBA, and Brevin just jumped in with the ad lib, and they showed up on time. Why that? I have no idea. You'd have to ask Brevin honestly, and I and I don't think he really has a good story for it. I think he simply. Just made it up, which, like all ad libs, uh, you know, is just something that comes out of the thin air. I mean, hammer nail coffin. I don't have a good origin story for it. It just kind of popped to mind, and it became very, very popular. So, when people ask me, "Have referees ever not shown up on time?" That's not the genesis of why Brevin says that. It's simply so Brevin could participate in the introduction of the officials. It's that simple. Not a great origin story, but 
it's the truth, and we're going to stick with it. And that is today's edition of NBA Storytime. Well, we hope that you're enjoying the podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts, if you would not only subscribe, but uh, rate and comment on the Grizz Weekly Grind and let us know if we're going in the right direction and if the content we are providing for you is content that you find useful, entertaining, fun, enjoyable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you would uh, please do so, please leave a rating and or comments. And of course, we appreciate your continued listenership of the Grizz Weekly Grind. And now, back to the program. If there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Right now, they're doing their framing consultations by appointment. All you have to do is call them at 901-685-7796. Chris Garner and his crew will do a fantastic job with your framing project. Every piece of art that I have in the house has been done by Garner Framing, and they can and will do pretty much anything you can imagine. It is museum quality framing. Chris Garner's a great guy, huge Grizzlies fan, and will do a fantastic job for you. I absolutely guarantee you will be thrilled with the work that Chris and his crew does at Garner Framing Company. Well, I'd said it earlier at the top of the show, I'm really excited about today's friend of the program. I'm excited about all our friends of the program. That's why they're friends of the program. Mark Spears has been writing... NBA stuff for decades, most prominently in Denver, covering the Nuggets. He has since moved to the West Coast. You'll find him in the Bay Area, went to San Jose State, um, and is now writing for ESPN.com, particularly the undefeated. Um, Mark is a lot of fun to talk to, a very deep and thoughtful individual. And uh, if, if I could pick one NBA writer on a national scope that I could sit down and really have a good conversation with, it would be Mark Spears. And so I did exactly that. And here's part one of our conversation, a friend of the program today, Mark Spears. Mark, I'm thrilled to have you on the program uh, because there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that we can talk about. And let's start with some of the current stuff. Uh, trade deadline coming up Thursday afternoon. Uh, buyers, sellers, active, quiet. Uh, what, what do you see? What do you think? Um, you know, I'm keeping my eye on the, uh, the Southwest division, you know, uh, obviously you saw Houston do some things already with PJ Tucker, um, keeping an eye on Victor Oladipo. I know the, uh, Mavericks are saying they won't trade Porzingis, uh, but I had heard behind the scenes that there was talk. So, um, I'm not saying that I expect anything to happen there, but keeping an eye on that. Um, New Orleans with J.J. Redick, Bledsoe. No, I'm keeping my oh, eyes on those, those two. Um, I, I, I don't – I hope the Pelicans don't trade Lonzo Ball. I think that would be a mistake. He's 23 years old and just starting to, you know, find his rhythm. And um, so – but, you know, there's a lot of guys I'm keeping an eye on. George Hill, uh, Al Horford, um, 
I'm guessing Drummond probably is a buyout in Cleveland. JaVel McGee, I'm sure, has some interest. And then, but probably more sexier names, Al, um, Aaron Gordon in Orlando, somebody that I, I think is a major piece that could, that could certainly help a team. Um, Cam Reddish in Atlanta, um, who I think has been a little disappointing, um, but is, is a great shooter. Perhaps a change of scenery might be good for him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know that there, unless like Victor Oladipo gets moved, I don't, I don't know that there's some, or Gordon, any major ball drop, but, you know, come trade deadline, man, you just never know. No, you do never know. What about Toronto? I mean, are they going to start blowing that thing up because they have been so disappointing yeah. and there have been some talk about Kyle Lowry going to Philadelphia. Is, is there anything to that, you yeah. think? Well, you know, with Kyle – I, I think if he is moved, it's done in a respectful way. That's probably part of the reason why you see Philadelphia on the list. You know, he's a guy that will have his jersey retired. If they start putting statues outside the Air Canada Center, I think he will have one. He is Mr. Raptor. I believe that there has been no Raptor that's played more games than him. Um, a special, special guy. Um, just meant so much to the community. He does a thing like uh, during the Ken- – Canadian Thanksgiving, he he passes out turkeys like he's from Canada, you know. So um, whatever is done with him, I think is done with care and put, puts him in a position to potentially make a, a run for a championship. And I do think it would be exciting for him to play for his hometown team in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I agree about Kyle. He's one of the classiest people I've ever been around. Got to know him when he was here in Memphis, and and we've remained in uh, in contact. And you talk about uh, stat- you, you're dating yourself, man. <laughs> hey, you know what? I've I, I'm okay. He, tell, he like tells me like he was horrible when he was playing for the Grizzlies, man. You know. Yeah, he well, he never really got a chance, and then he broke his wrist. I don't it was his rookie yeah. season, and uh, so never things never worked out. But he was he was always one of the really really good guys, and I enjoyed being around. Great him. golfer too. Well, there are a lot of great golfers in our game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about guys with statues, uh, we mourn the passing of Elgin Baylor, and one of the greatest players that a lot of the modern era folks just don't seem to recognize. What do they not get about Elgin Baylor and what he meant to that Lakers team? Um, I, I think Elgin Baylor was a victim of his time. You know, um, the NBA, I don't think really hit mainstream until Magic Johnson and, and Larry Bird showed up in 79. Right. So in a lot of ways, the NBA at Elgin's time was probably like the MLS maybe, but without the TV deal. Um, and, and so there's not a lot of video of him. Um, I think the NBA has done a poor job of saluting a wide range of stars. Like you always hear the same guys, Hey, Bill Russell. Hey, it's magic Johnson there. You, you know what I mean? The Kembe, it's always like the same guys. They, they salute all the times at the all-star stuff, but, you know, he's somebody that certainly deserved a lot more credit. And, you know, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that baseball's popularity, you know, um, 40s, 50s, 60s, and uh, NFL's growing popularity at that time, you know, included a lot of video where, you know, NFL films, you know, Major League Baseball, I, I, I've watched – tons of old like 
interesting footage of, of baseball players, you know, from the fifties and sixties and maybe even the forties, but the right. NBA they, doesn't have that. Yeah. The flag, the flagstaff films in baseball are unbelievable. Yeah. And, and NBA doesn't have that. So I, I think, so to, to us, maybe though, you know, especially the younger generation, like even myself, um, this man in his forties, I never, I never saw him play. And I've been covering NBA for 22 years. So anything I've seen, is is just like highlight reels, highlight tapes, and stuff like that. But I, I just think that anything I've heard has been from people who from that era. So I think that's what hurt him is I've heard he was Dr. J before Dr. J. I heard he could score better than or as well. He was Jordan before Jordan as a score. Um, he was zero and eight in the finals. So perhaps if he won some one of the fi- those finals and then the year he retired they won it um a lot of things uh hurt his legacy but those basketball historians those that saw him play you know speak speak in a treasured tone about him even spencer haywood told me he's the greatest smoke forward of all time that's that's high praise indeed i wonder yeah, if it's- but when you consider especially one still in the game right now right yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think partially too, maybe the fact that he was general manager of the Clippers when they were the Clippers. Yeah. And and working for Donald Sterling, I think that that's what a lot of people remember now, and they don't remember how great he was as a player, but remembering yeah. working for a franchise that, at that point in time, was considered to be exceptionally dysfunctional. Man, you know what? But it's it's interesting. Like to me, it wasn't his fault that the Clippers were so bad. I think it, like he kept this job with a penny pinching owner that I, you know, maybe it would have served him better to resign from that job years before he did for a variety of reasons, you know, that some of them, a lot of them probably racial too. Um, it's probably, you know, I was always kind of stunned that he stuck around in that position so long, but um, he, um, you know, I'll tell you one funny Clipper story. <laughs> like, how bad it used to be. I remember the Clippers, they used to practice in the early 2000s at a, at a, like a gym, like mm-hmm. a fitness center, some, you know, like something like a step above 24 hour fitness. Right. So you'd be like interviewing Elton brand or interviewing the coach, whoever their coach was that day. And they'd be doing the elliptical machine and there'd be like, some old people to the right and left doing it alongside of them. You know, it was just like a regular gym. <laughs> like imagine just being in some gym in Memphis and the, and the Grizzlies work out there. And yeah. so they would, we would go in at the end of practice and they'd be scrimmaging and stuff. And then somebody would, a member of the gym would like walk into the gym and walk through the middle of the court while they were practicing <laughs> because that was like a quicker way to get to the parking lot. <laughs> the Clippers and, and the NBA. And that was one of their better practice facilities. <laughs> yeah, the NBA and the Clippers in general have uh, have come a long, long way from, I'd love from to where see they used to be. From uh, the, it, it, there'd be some anger and sadness in it because of Sterling, but a Clippers documentary bad would probably be pretty hilarious in a lot of ways, too. I, I'm sure that it would be. Uh, our friend of the program today is is Mark Spears of The Undefeated. You can follow him at Mark J. Spears on Twitter. And thrilled to have him. And um, what about Dre? Let's talk about Draymond Green. I mean, I, I have great admiration for his game, but for him to say best defensive player ever, 
Ever's a really long time, and I have a hard time comparing guys from eras. If we're talking about outstanding defensive players, to me, my list starts with Bill Russell. And I, re- yeah. I respect what Draymond is saying, and obviously in today's game, he's among the elite, if not the best. I saw T.A. I saw T.A. took a shot at him. Of course, T.A. took a shot at him. Of course course you did. Hey, you know, when Kobe Bryant says, you're the best guy who ever defended me, referring to Tony Allen, I mean, I kind of get that. But, but, I mean, you know, you you spent a lot of time in in the Bay Area. What what about Draymond? You know, I I asked Bob Fitzgerald a, a couple episodes ago about, you know, Draymond Green and what he means to that team. And the outsider's perception is, well, he's kind of a knucklehead, but to those who really know him, know that oh, man. He's, he, he's, he's anything but. He's the best. He's one of the greatest guys I've ever met, greatest guys I've been around. Um, you got to remember, this was a guy who was a second-round pick. Um, I remember him coming off the bench in Summer League. Like, think about that. He came off the bench in Summer League. Like, that means you're not guaranteed to make this team, right? Yeah. And he has worked his way into an all-star. He, I, I remember seeing him go from 800000 to like $16 million contract, you know. So I think he's kept this edge, this chip on his shoulder to help his confidence and, and keep it, keep him, you know, far from satisfied with what he's doing. So, you know, I always believe that confident people rule the world. Now, every, everything that they may or not be, may say, or may not say may not be the truth, but if they believe in themselves, they don't care what anybody else has to say. And he exemplifies that, but you know, um, I, I think it would be very um, – I wish everybody could have lunch with him, have some wine with him, watch some basketball with him. I did a diary with him a few years ago, and um, he uh, he's, 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 he's an amazing guy, man, very smart. So his passion is at times gets the best of him, and I think he would admit that. But he's one of those guys that you probably hate him unless he plays for your team. Yeah, I – and uh, he's going to be on TV when this is said and done. He'll be the next Charles Barkley. But his basketball IQ is stunning. So to me, it's just like I, I, I take it with a grain of salt. I definitely respect him as one of the greatest defenders of all time. But I, I don't know if anybody could say they're the greatest in anything. You know, beauty is the eye of the beholder. So I guess it's just what you feel and, you know, who who you think is the best defender could be different than me, you know, and. Right. We're both right. Well, and you, it's so hard to compare eras. I mean, when you think when Bill Russell played and then you think when Draymond Green is playing, I mean, those are to, two almost totally different games, the style of game, the three-point line, the number of teams you have, the amount of talent that you have. So, I mean, there are a lot of variables in there. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I have great respect for Draymond Green. And one of the things about him is that you love his passion Sometimes it's misdirected, but I'd rather have a guy who cares intensely and passionately yeah. wants to be great rather than somebody who just kind of goes out there and it's like, well, I'm playing ball because I'm talented enough and I can. Yeah. No, he's um, he's going to make sure that they get the best out of you. He's been, you know, for Memphis fans who didn't get to see James Wiseman too long, 
he he's been a big brother. Like James Wiseman lights up when he talks about him and how much he's been helping his career and um, just just taking him game his game to the next level. I I think when you're you're a kid like Wiseman who's seven feet, gifted athletically, really really smart. You know, you need somebody that when to, can push you further. You're used to everything being easy for you in terms of, you know, the game of basketball, the athleticism, your height. Like, you've been given all these gifts. Well, how do you take it to the next level? And I think having teammates like a Draymond Green certainly can push him to uh, a, a all-star and maybe even a Hall of Fame status one day. Indeed, indeed. All right, let's talk a little bit about the MVP race. Uh, LeBron James out for an indeterminate period of time with a high ankle sprain. Obviously, he is in the mix. Uh, you know, people will talk about Damian Lillard. You talk about Jokic. Uh, obviously, James Harden is doing amazing things, as per usual. Is there anybody that stands out in the MVP race to you? I would say right now, um, probably James Harden, man. You know, I, I know his departure from Houston wasn't the best and shouldn't be remembered as such. Um, but he basically, to his credit, he did go to Brooklyn and, and basically realized the best role for me on this team is to be the point guard, to facilitate to to Kevin, to facilitate to Kyrie, to bring the ball up. Like, he's used to having the ball in his hands, but he's also used to having the ball in his hands. And to me, this is the best I've ever seen him play. This is, I wonder if he would have played this way in Houston, what kind of success they would have had, you know, because he's the most dangerous when he thinks pass as well as shoot. So I, I think he's in a, had an outstanding season. Um, Embiid is it's his health, man. If, if he could stay healthy, the, the, the award could be his. Um, I think Damon Lillard's a dark horse in it. You know, um, it's with all their injuries. He they're still winning games, which which has been been stunning to me. Um, LeBron James and Anthony Davis's uh, hopes probably took a major hit with their injuries as well. So um, I would say maybe even by default a little bit, but also because of his play, that James Harden is probably in first place. And our thanks to Mark Spears for stopping by as our friend of the program. That is part one of our conversation. Part two will be in episode 24, which will come out next Monday. We'll recap the Grizzlies road trip then. We'll also see uh, what major trades have happened or not happened in the NBA. We'll recap the trade deadline in episode 24. That'll come out on Monday. That does it for episode 23 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Today it's been brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, and their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. So we thank them for their support. Thank Mark Spears again for joining us as our friend of the program. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Branica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.